In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues today, with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Ladies, Motherhood Talk Radio is here to give you a powerful platform by giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Motherhood Talk Radio has interviews with best-selling authors, gurus of happiness, and women of interest who every single day make our world a better place for our families. Motherhood Talk Radio, powered by Motherhood Incorporated, is on the air now. Moms, this really is your show. Motherhood Talk Radio. And now, here are your hosts, Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Hey, Mamas. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly and Rick Swanson. I bet Rick loves these shows, don't you? I think he does, more than he wants to admit. I don't know. Today is the preemie show, so we're going to talk about... Uh, you know, having preemies, which I had two. I had no preemies. No, but of course, the perfect mother. Why would you? Oh, you're so crazy like that. I know, I know, but it's just so funny that your life is on paper so perfect. <laughs> perfect marriage, fairy lights at the wedding. Oh, yes. You look really good on your wedding I day, though. Am. Yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you did look I just, wonderful. I just love my wedding dress. I wish I could wear it all the time. In fact, I've actually seen you walking around with a vacuum cleaner. Look at me in my wedding dress. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. I'm going to get it down. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that happens, especially in our country where we're so dictated by culture, you know, the movies we watch, the TV shows we watch, um, it's really hard when a, a birth or a marriage doesn't go according to like the way society says it should yeah it doesn't go according to plan like, yeah the, and you see a lot of them that look like they do right rick weren't we talking about that the people that put up that front that everything's perfect oh yes we talked about that well, we talk about it all the time it seems like <laughs> yeah but especially especially in this town when it's like you see everybody from the outside and it's like oh yeah perfect life and then you start to get to know people and you find things out about them and you're like, wow, that's really screwed up. But, yeah. I mean, I think that's putting people up on a pedestal. It's not really fair to them either. No, no, but, I mean, when we look at, you know. I'm going back to my cynical All right, point of back people cynical. in general. Yeah, get out. Yeah. Go, cynical man, go. Because <laughs> it's the preemie show. Um, but it's very hard. I think, you know, it was disappointing to me, I'll be honest. You know, I especially for your first one, you know, you're so excited. Ooh, the baby's coming. And then you're like, oh, my God, the baby's coming. And, you know, and I'm not ready. I mean, I will tell you what I packed for Max's birth. I'm not kidding you, my computer, <laughs> my cell phone. Uh, I had books to read. Like, you know, and it was funny because the, the, the nurse, like, she gave what? me the same look. She's like, she's like, what do you have in your bag there? Because, you know, I had beautiful luggage, and, and I was telling her, and she's like, a hair dryer. <laughs> girl, girl, a hair dryer. You know, and this was to have a preemie. But I thought I was coming home. I just figured I would sit there for a couple hours, do some work, and, you know, come home. I had no idea I would stay there for days and for actually a whole week, and, you know, I'd have a premature baby shoot out like a tennis ball and you know go from there nice very nice, nice. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's it's one of the things nobody, you know, it's like my advice to women these days, like, you know, I'm sure Rick, you'll have some, <laughs> some getting married advice, and Christy, you know, you will too. But my thing about, like, thinking of getting married and thinking of having babies, I think it's remiss of me to to not say – just tuck in the back of your head. There may come a point where you have to raise these kids on your own, you know, through mm-hmm. death or divorce or whatever's going on or, you know, deployment. Anything could cause, you know, you to have to raise these kids on your own. Um, but the second thing is is to, like, tuck in the back of your head that, you know, you having this baby may or may not be this amazing, miraculous experience. Tuck in the back of your head. There are no such thing as fairy tales. There are no such thing as yikes. And there are no back of the head pockets that you can tuck in. But you have a very, very funny birth story. Because the thing is, this is why I love you, because you are so intensely real at times. And you were in kind of the country club of hospitals, too, to have, was it Hannah? And, uh, well, I had a little bit of trouble with each each one, but uh, Parker, my second one, um, I knew I went in knowing what to expect because I had a C-section with the first one. So I was all like tense, you know, knowing what's going to happen when you get your epidural and all that. And I was to start with, I like came in because I thought, okay, this time I'm going to do my hair, like I am going to look pretty because I don't have to push this baby out. And you know, I so I look good going in, and then. Like, I started crying because I had to, like, I was, when I got the epidural, I was thinking, like, oh, if something goes wrong, you know, I got all emotional, so I was really upset. I was upset during, like, when they were giving me the um, the oxygen, uh-huh. putting me, you know, putting yeah. me out, and I couldn't breathe. And then afterwards, like, I went into some, like, I was allergic to, yes, I was allergic to something, so I started twitching like I was a drug addict. And then (laughs) I I kept, like, itching, and it was really hot. And so, and then I threw up in my hair. Oh, wow. There's a keeper. And then, and then, (laughs) and then I took me to a room. I had to share a room with this woman, and she had the side with all the air on. (gasps) She looked gorgeous. She had a C-section, too. And the doctor comes in to check on me. I think it was the second day, which we didn't get to take a shower because um, there wasn't one in the, like, fast day where, we're, mm-hmm. you know, when you go and have it and leave the next day. And so I had no shower. I was sweating hot. There was no fans. And I was horrible. And my doctor comes in, and I hear him talking to this other woman. And he's like, oh, you look so beautiful. Oh, you just got your baby. Oh, you can't even tell. And then... He, like, takes a few more steps, and I'm standing there. I think they were taking the catheter out. I mean, it was, like, all these, it was awful. And he goes, wow, now you, you look like you had a baby. I was like, you know what? I had words. I couldn't resist that. Obviously, I'm all worked up over this. I'm still a little upset with him. Oh, yeah. And I did talk to him when I saw him after on my visit to him, and he's like, I'm so sorry, I'll give you birth control for free for forever, I'm so sorry I did that, and I'm like, uh, you know, it is, because it is that, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know, I look like hell, yeah, I didn't look good either, but I planned to be all like, oh, I don't have to do any work, I'm just gonna, you know, yeah, you're just gonna slice that tummy open, pull that baby out, and, you know, I know, perfect life, yeah, oh, it's brutal, that's that yeah, no, mine was like they were trying to get Max out because I was 
he was in distress, and then I was in distress, and, and um, I remember at one point they were doing something down there, and I remember this little Asian doctor and thinking I was so excited that he was so tiny because, you know, tiny doctor means tiny little hands, and when they're putting your hands places, oh yeah, no. tiny little hands are a good thing. And um, I remember laying there, and he's doing his thing, and I think thought, oh, he'll be so gentle because he's such a little man. And he was in there like he was like roto rooting a sink. <laughs> and finally, I sat up because he's like, I have to get it up there because I'm like, ow, that hurts, and it hurt even with whatever they'd given me. I'm like, that's really painful. And he's like, well, I have to get it. Blah 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 blah. And he was like, you know, he moved, did like three pushes, and I sat up, and I'm like, I am not a turkey. Because that's just what it felt like. You're, you're trying to get that stuffing up to the neck of the turkey, and you're just pushing that stuff in there. And it's just, it's not glamorous. It's not like you see on TV. No, nobody really tells you about all this part. No, no. And um, when you have a preemie, you know, they, they take the baby. Like with Max, all I remember was them saying it was like a boy or something. And then I went to sleep because I'd have surgery. But they, like, took him away. Like there was no bonding, you know, and, and he went in this little box and he's in the NICU. And, <laughs> and it was really strange for me to come home after having a baby and not have a baby, you know, and I'm, like, watching reruns on Friends going, like, well, I'm going to order Taco Bell tonight. Like, what's it going to be? You know, most people are having that, like, round-the-clock thing, and I would go to the NICU, and I would stay there all day and then come home and go to sleep. And um, it was really a bizarre experience. And um, the second one, when I had the second preemie, I was like, let keep them, you know, because I knew what was coming. I knew that, you know, because it's like they t- you have to feed them with these little bottles that look like, hair care color things well max was on a tube and so you know just hook them up you know feed them and off you go i mean but it's it's nobody prepares you for like the weirdness that happens when it doesn't go according to plan yeah and i don't like that no we're trying to prepare you right now prepare you that it's not perfect and it's like yeah, plans change. Plans change. change. It's not going to go according to your little birth plan. Well, I didn't have a birth plan. Because I didn't have one either because I'm too lazy. I was too lazy. <laughs> but, well, you know, they say like, oh, you know, here's your list of things to give to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're not, birth plan. not a Get chance. it out. That's my birth plan. <laughs> but it is hard because, you know, when I was having Max, you know, Max was born at like 30, I don't know, 32 weeks. 30, he was just almost 32 weeks. He's one day oh, shy wow. of 32 weeks. Well, the couple were having on. I think uh, Tate was born at 27 weeks. Oh, wow. Um, but I remember being in the delivery room and this nurse is yelling at me and she's like, breathe. And I'm like, she's going like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, do the breathing. I'm like, the, the classes start next week. <laughs> I hadn't been there yet. The yeah. You know, they don't send you to the birth classes till you're like eight months. Well, if you have your baby in the seventh month, I got news for you. You don't know what's going on. So who do you think is, uh, just to buzz in, who do you think is responsible for informing the prospective mother of what childbirth is like? Hmm. Uh, (laughs) Mother or somebody else? Someone, your mother. Your mother. Your mother. mother. She's the expert. Anybody's mother should tell them their kids the truth. I've never had any kids, and nor do I plan on personally having any, <laughs> like being pregnant. But wow. I know what it's like. I mean, I did have. You the, know what it's like. More or less, and five I, of them. I've seen some like of the come out birth the videos and stuff. And I don't even know why these clowns, some of these husbands, want to film that crap. I mean, like this is nasty. <laughs> I've seen animals give birth, and it's not much better with people. 
Bloody, fluid, <laughs> nasty it's not noise. Like, it's yeah. a beautiful thing, but it's no. not that beautiful to see. At it's a beautiful thing that you're creating a new life, but yes. the process of getting that to that point, <laughs> not pleasant, <laughs> in my opinion. Not so pretty. Not so pretty. Well, we are Christy Holly, Rick Swanson, Sandra Beck of Motherhood Talk Radio. We are talking about premature babies. When we come back from the break, we are going to welcome Lauren and Tate Zimmerman of the Little Tate Foundation for Preemie Aid. I'm sure we're going to have some laughs and some giggles because they have three beautiful children and a big hospital bill. We're going to talk about that after the break. Mom, here's your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. The Way of the Toddler, with hosts Lita and Lori Hamilton, is a show unlike any other parenting program you've ever heard. Zen Masters in Diapers? Yes. Join us Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central here on Toginet as we celebrate parenthood as a spiritual path for a journey to inner peace. With thought-provoking and spiritually compelling guests, each week Lita and Lori will explore how our children help us with the lessons we came here to learn, adding deeper meaning to our lives and relationships while giving you valuable gems to add to your unique parenting toolkit. Check out the website, thewayofthetoddler.com. With great humor and honesty, Lita and Lori will demonstrate how inner peace is possible even when surrounded by poopy divers and piles of laundry, and what we can learn from the innate wisdom and natural spirituality of our Zen masters and diapers. It's The Way of the Toddler with Lita and Lori Hamilton, Tuesday afternoons at 5, 4 Central, here on toginet.com. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand, or you're the winner. Well, now, we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 Central on Togedat.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, MotherhoodTalkRadio.com. Now, let's get back to the show with your hosts, Sandra Back and Christy Holly. Mamas, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly. Rick's got to be so glad he's <laughs> off for the rest of the show. Yes, he is. <laughs> he is. It's oh. like he's one of six, the oldest of six, and then we have Motherhood Talk Radio show, Babies, Babies, Babies. <laughs> and then it. my kids, your kids. It's all good. It's all good. Good thing he's a big, tough man. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we have as our guests today Lauren and Tate of the Little Tate Foundation for Preemie Aid, and we're going to have some fun with – I'm going to go to Lauren. Lauren, are you here today? Thank you for having us. Oh, there you are. I hear somebody in the background. Another baby there? Um, that's one week old, but he's going to sleep here, so hopefully he'll be quiet. No, no, we love it. We love it. Are we, Christy? I mean, <laughs> yes. we've had, was it Wacky Does a Meltdown? Your kids yes. were awful one show. Yes, all, well, but yeah. boy, yes. <laughs> I like it when other kids, other people's kids are not behaving. Me too. I mean, even happy. if they're just an infant and they're crying, it's like been there, done that. I know, it makes me happy. Yeah. So, Lauren, we want to hear your story. Um, we'll get into the little Tate Foundation for Premiade a little bit later, but we want to hear your story. Sure. Well, um, let's see, Tate and I were married in May of 08 and found out we were expecting a month later and we're extremely excited. I went um, out of town to visit my family, came back at 27 weeks pregnant. And now, where were you living at the time? I'm up here in Alaska. Okay. Um, and I'm from South Carolina. Um, so, got married, moved back here, went to visit my family, and um, Came back uh, about nine hours after Tate picked me up from the airport. I was in labor and um, ended up with an emergency C-section being rushed into Anchorage, which is about um, about an hour and a half drive from our house, rushed in an ambulance there. And um, little Tate was born by emergency C-section at 27 weeks. And he weighed two and a half pounds. He was 14 inches long. Um, and initially we didn't really know if he had made it. Um, I think when they pulled him out, uh, Tate could see him, and I think they were trying to hide him from me a little bit, um, but Tate just told me, he just said he's really purple and didn't really say anything else. I think he might hear me. Um, but he did make it, and he was actually breathing a little bit on his own, which is um, kind of rare for 27 weeks long. Of course, he did need um, lots and lots of breathing help over the next couple months. And um, he, let's see, he was in the hospital for three months. And um, we stayed, let's see, we actually commuted 120 miles round trip every day um, until the last five weeks when we were able to stay in a little uh, room off of his room. And... Um, he had ups and downs, but finally did get out two days after his due date. So he was in the hospital from November 6th until February 6th. And we were in there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and um, all, all of that. So um, it was definitely an experience. And uh, was really it something strange, too, like when you look back on it, like it's just not like anything you could ever possibly imagine or expect no it's kind of one of those things that you go oh it, you know you hear about preemies but it would never happen to us that's something that happens to people on the news or people in books or just other people but it wouldn't happen to us um well yeah but, I felt the same way I was like thinking and this is you know no disrespect to anyone but I always thought oh well you know people who are really young or people who don't take care of their bodies or people who do drugs you know or smoke you know I'm going through right. all these things like and I'm like you know I was working out gently I was you know eating properly I you know it's like I just didn't it, it wasn't in my 
I always thought there was like a fault, you know, right or like, wrong. Who caused this? Exactly. What caused this? And it, you know, and then it, it happens to you, and you're like, because I did. I went through everything possible, you know, that like, was I working too much? Was I on the freeway too much? You know, did I eat sushi four weeks ago? You know, and completely ruin everything. I mean, you go through. At least I did. Did you go through any of those crazy like? Like, was there something that I did, or did that not did that not run across your mind? Well, to some extent, it was kind of well. Should I have been traveling? Of course, normally that's not an issue when you're pregnant. Um, you know, you have to be careful, but normally traveling is fine. And um, there was a little bit of that. Well, maybe that's what caused it. Maybe that's what brought on labor and all that. But then when we started having problems at 25 weeks with our second pregnancy, um, mm. then knew that this wasn't just a, um, it hadn't just been a fluke the first time. And it's something they really, they don't know why. Um, for some reason, they just come early for us. And um, we don't we don't know why. We have to take it easy. And um, I've had bed rest with both of my pregnancies since then. Yeah, I had bed rest on my second one. They put me on bed rest. I think it was the fourth month or something like that, you know, similar to you where they're not, you know, they just didn't want to take any chances. Um, but it's, it's, I'm glad that you had that. Um, I'm not glad for the baby. You know, I'm not glad that you had distress like that, but I'm glad you had some of that relief that says, well, this is just the way my body is because I found that with when I had my second son and they put me on bed rest and there were all these, you know, it was the same conditions. Then mm-hmm. I didn't have, it was only with the first one that I kept thinking, well, what if, what if? And the second one, I'm like, okay, well, this is just the way it goes. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I was on, with the second one, I, since I started dilating at 25 weeks, they um, put me on kind of semi-bed rest, which was hard with a, another baby. You know, little Tate wasn't very old. and um, Anyway, and then this time I got put on semi-bed rest from, about 31 weeks on, and we did make it, with our third one, we did make it all the way to 38 weeks. Oh, that um, is wonderful. Congratulations, <laughs> Mama. That's not an easy feat. No, it was, it was really exciting. We were very thankful for that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's when, and when you're on bed rest, um, you know, it's when you have a toddler, like I want to bring that up for anybody who might be experiencing this. How old was little Tate when you were pregnant with your second one? Was he about a year old? No, he. Um, they are ten and a half months apart. Oh, oh my goodness! Wow. <laughs> if you adjust for the three week, three months that little Tate was in the hospital, you know, going from his due date, they're actually only seven and a half months apart. Um, so little Tate was adjusting his age from his due date. He was six weeks old when we found out we were expecting again. Mm. And um, so I was put on bed rest when he was again adjusting his age because those first three months. Um, because they're just learning to breathe and eat. They're basically a newborn, uh, you know, a newborn when they get out of the hospital at their due date. Um, so when I was put on bed rest, he was right about six months old. And I was on two and a half months of bed rest um, with him or with the second one. Yeah. Uh, well, and let's explain that. Because, like, you know, only preemie moms understand the adjusted age. Because a lot of moms gave me a hard time because I would, you know, when he was, like, when he was 
technically four months old, he was only like a five-week-old baby developmentally. And so people are like, oh, at four months old, he's not sleeping through the night, he's not doing this and this. And I'm like, no. In fact, mine was, my first one was delayed. His development was delayed. So like rolling over and doing some of the things that are, you know, typical benchmarks for other babies, they're all off because you're like my baby. Your baby came out you know, so far under the gun that by the time, like by the time September 28th rolled around, which was Max's due date, and he was born July 23rd, well, you're just catching up at that point. Right. So, well, they, yeah. yeah you, you can't say, well, I have a three-month-old, because you really don't. You have a one-day-old if he was born when he was supposed to be born, because it's not like a couple weeks here and there or even a couple days. It's it's months. Right. Well, I didn't want to... Really, a lot of times I would just give people his adjusted age if I didn't have time to go into, well, this is his real age, this is adjusted age, this is why we're adjusting, this is... uh, He's minus 30 right now. (laughs) Right, of course. um, Yeah, well, and then right now it'll take two and a half, so by now we're not adjusting anymore. At 27 weeks, when he was born, they adjust, they do go by an adjusted age, up until right around two years old, and by that point, he's basically caught up to normal two-year-olds pretty much. So there's not any difference between him and a normal two-and-a-half-year-old at this point. Yeah, I found that, too, with both my kids, that by the time they were about two-and-a-half, everything, like, language-wise, like, you know, my one son didn't develop language. You know, who knows if it was just the way he was made or, you know, because of his birth situation. But, yeah, by two-and-a-half years old, both of my kids seemed to have, like, you couldn't couldn't tell. Like, there wasn't anything obvious or anything that I really noticed at that point other than them being them. Right, yeah. So now mine, when I had Max, was... Uh, two years old when I was on bed rest, so it was really hard because he got mad and he would kick me because I couldn't pick him up. You know, he wasn't allowed to sit or lay on me. He could lay next to me, but, you know, they want to lay on you, and he wasn't allowed to do do a lot of things, and he got really frustrated, and he got really mad. He would be mad at me, and I'm like, you know, you can't explain to a two-year-old, sorry, I can't, you know, pick you up because, you know, I've got, you know, i got to cook your brother, Um, but it was hard. It was difficult to, to, to manage the needs of a toddler or in your case, the needs of an infant with whatever's grown inside. Right, exactly. And that was um, always hard. This time when I was on bed rest, I had a uh, about an 18-month-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a year old. and um, it was hard explaining, I can't pick you up. Fortunately, the 18-month-old was fascinated with walking and holding my hand. So that, that was <laughs> a good thing. And um, But, yeah, it is hard balancing, uh, taking care of, the older ones and the one who's not born yet. Yeah, because everybody has their needs, and you have your own needs. Even just, I don't know about you, but, like, I was afraid to pick up my toddler because I was so dizzy. You know, I was so dizzy from the bed rest that the few times that I would get up in the day, I was only allowed to get up to go to the bathroom, and that had to be with assistance. Um, Uh I was so dizzy, I didn't want to carry them. Yeah, they wouldn't let me pick either of them up. Um, for, well, most of my pregnancy, they're they're huge. They're about 35, 30, 35 pounds a piece. So um, it's definitely, yeah, I couldn't do that at all. <laughs> wow. Well, 
Well, we are here today with Lauren Zimmerman. We're going to welcome her husband, Tate Zimmerman, uh, coming on next segment. My name is Sandra Beck. I am the host of Motherhood Talk Radio along with Christy Holly and Rick Swanson. If you want to check out their foundation, it's uh, preemiefoundation.com, little Tate. You can look at little Tate's story on there, but preemiefoundation.com. And we're talking about having premature babies, what to expect, and how to get through it. Mom, here's your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, motherhoodtalkradio.com. Now, let's get back to the show with your hosts, Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Mamas, Christy and I are talking on the break about breastfeeding, and we were talking about, um, you know, I was telling her with a premature baby, mine misfired. Um, I only had one breast that produced milk. The other one, what I call the dud. The <laughs> dud. Like the dud breast. But mine never got really big. Mine didn't either, and I was so sad because... I was looking forward to that. Me too. I wanted to have like this big, like like big chest, and you know, I I didn't. And uh, but they put, they put me. I started to. Uh, they had me pump. They had me do all these things. It was brutal because you know it's too early, and the and Max was born obviously before he could suck and swallow the coordinating of suck and swallow. So it's you know it, what they do to you in the hospital is just 
it's crazy because this one nurse would come in. She's like, you have to breastfeed. You have to breastfeed. And then another nurse would come in and go, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. And I'm like, I'm so confused. I'm just going to put a pillow over my head and play with the buttons. Well, it's, I just think, like, breastfeeding is a natural thing, and it's, it's awesome. It's great. It's wonderful. But it's not easy. Some people, it you know, it happens right away, but it's really it's not an easy thing to do. I'm just saying that. It isn't, and it's not, you know, and if your baby is premature, like your milk doesn't let down like it's supposed to because right. you didn't go through, you know, the full birth process. And, you know, and, Laura, I don't know if you feel comfortable talking about this. Did you have trouble with that with your, with your birth? Not too much. They got me pumping um, within a few hours. I'm trying to remember. Um but I did pump for three months while he was in the hospital, and it was always a little bit of a battle for me um, just keeping my supply up high enough with just pumping because um, obviously it's not the natural way your body does it, and it's a little bit different being hooked up to a pump instead of your little baby. Yeah. And, well, yeah, and it's painful, those machines. Like, I don't know about yours. Mine was, like, out of the dark ages, and it went, like, <laughs> and it had this big thing that, like, went up and down, and then you put this thing on your chest, and, and it would really hurt. Like, at least you could, like, with mine, it had, like, a volume control. You could turn up the suction. Yeah, because it was painful. If you turned that on, if I, like, like in the middle of the night, if I left it on high where I had didn't turn it back where it was supposed to be and put that thing on there, you know, you could hear me all the way up in Alaska. You know, I think it was one of the mistakes I made one time and never again. <laughs> yeah, because you start out when you pump on a machine. For those of you that don't know, you started, it's like a toaster. You know, you started on zero, and you turn it up over, like, as you get flowing, and it, like, you know, comes out. But if you don't if you don't put it back down to zero, next time you put it on there, you're like, right, Lauren, it's a mistake you make once. Um, it's uh, it's all these crazy things that, that happen. Um, but I think the craziest, like for me, thankfully, I, my insurance um, covered and then the um, hospital covered the balance of it because it was very, very expensive. Max was, his name is Maximilian, the running joke. It cost a million. Um, but it's very difficult for parents um, with the preemie stuff. And what I found, too, is even just the preemie clothes are so expensive. You know, it's like it's so expensive any way you slice it for anything when you have a premature baby. And that's how the little Tate Foundation came about. And we're going to welcome uh, Big Tate, <laughs> uh, little Tate's daddy, um, and Lauren's husband to talk a little bit about um, what is the little Tate Foundation for preemie aid and what inspired you. And if you want to take over, because Tate, I don't think he can talk about breastfeeding like, like Lauren can. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hello. Um, well, what it, what it is basically just born out of our experiences, which you guys have heard a little bit about, and um, our passion for other parents in the same situation, we ended up with a an overwhelming hospital bill, and of course that's tough going through all everything and right in the middle of it knowing that you have this huge hospital bill stacking up. Ours ended up over 900000 900, Yeah. Um, and so we were able to raise uh, money to pay off the doctor's portion of that um, within a short t- time period through help of others in different ministries. And um, from there, we basically uh, are now making payments on the rest. And so what we put together is an organization that will basically help the families of preemies that have overwhelming financial needs uh, to meet those needs. It's a lot. It's a lot because you have, like, I don't know about you guys, you probably felt the same thing 
with me, and I don't know, you guys are different, but, like, when I would go into the hospital to visit Max in the NICU, there was a part of me that was completely divorced from the whole situation. Um, it was so hard for me because I was like, you know, God, do is this child going to live? Am I going to, you know, die mess up? You know, because I had fertility treatments to have this baby, so there was all this guilt going. Like, I forced something that wasn't natural. and um, But I, like, kind of blocked out. Like, I think he was probably six months old, chronologically six months old, um, not from his birth, not adjusted, like, like, you know, if he was born properly and then six months from there before I finally could let myself go enough to be like, oh, I love you, you know, like, you're my little baby. You know, I was just kind of frozen up until that point. But then to add on, you know, crushing medical bills on top of that is just unreal. Mm-hmm, yep. It's definitely, um, it's one of those things you really, I, I would go back and forth and um, there would be certain points I'd let it get to me. But overall, I was able to, just realize there's nothing I can do about it. I need to enjoy this little guy here um, and do what I can do and just get through this. And, and ultimately, God will work things out, and we'll just have to do the best we can. That's right. I mean, that's like, I mean, I know that sounds like such easy advice, um, you know, for parents, but there is a point where you just kind of have to let go and go, okay, it's going to be what it's going to be, and I'm just going to go with it and, and you know, kind of go with the flow. Um, but, you'd like, Tate, what's your best advice? And I'm going to ask you this, Lauren, so you have a moment to think about it, but what is the best practical advice that, Tate, you have for dads that are going through a similar situation? And then, Lauren, I'm going to go to you for um, – kind of your best piece of advice for moms going through this situation. Okay. Um, basically, starting with uh, one of the big things I think any any dad through this process is going to find is that the mom's a little bit distracted. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <laughs> and, the, uh, and, of course, I was distracted too, but, you know, it's easy, especially we were just newly married and, and expecting a certain amount of attention and emotional um attention and, and, you know, just the, uh, what a guy expects from a gal, just her time, it, it was hard to get it during that time period. And so at a certain point, I realized that that was the case and probably didn't do the best I could have been, but um, just uh, to be very selfless during that time period, because it is a lot for a gal to go through. And it's so, like with Lauren, it was so, um, you could just see that it was so hard for her because here she wanted to be the one taking care of her baby. And, um, you know, it's hard to kind of get in the middle. The nurses tend to they're usually pretty good, but they they do a lot of the things that it takes for the baby to live. And so um, she really wanted to be, to be right in the middle of things and to be up for the feedings or to be up for all the care and the diaper changes and all those different things and to be involved and um, very, very well, little you just sleep. can't. You just can't. I mean, they don't – there are certain things the nurses have to do. And, and I know exactly, Lauren, what you probably felt like. I felt so – Sometimes I felt stupid standing there. Sometimes I felt mad. Sometimes I felt helpless. You know, it's it's just not it's not at all what you expect. And Tate, I'm so proud of you to stand up and say to the dads. I mean, that Chrissy and I are like yeah. all excited That's over huge. here. That's huge. To, <laughs> well, I don't mean to give men that or say that. Right, because a lot of men are feel the same thing, but don't nobody ever says it. Or they might just be mad and yeah. not recognize that the feeling is their needs aren't getting met, and that that at this time, you know, when your wife has a preemie like that, you're right. Her focus is going to be on that kid, and and really not on you. Yes, and Lauren did a very good job given the circumstances, but it's easy for you know a little bit of resentment to creep in. Just as human part of human nature, just um, your eyes are. And ears are just on the baby, and 
every day is a new day and you're just wondering, is the baby going to make it? So, um, yeah, just being selfless is, it's, uh, definitely hard given that situation. And the hard thing is I could tell myself during that time period, um, okay, don't resent anything. Don't, don't be too needy. Don't expect that she's going to be able to spend time with you. Things are going to be the same as they were before, but still it tends to creep in a little bit. So, well, you're constant bad. Yeah. You know, because yep. I was like, you know, I can tell you, and Lauren, you know, this is probably a horrible thing to say on the radio, but there was a point at which I would Uh-oh. look, well, you look at this baby and he's connected to all these things. And I remember the neurologist or somebody came in, they put this big machine over Max and they're like, it's running and doing all these things. And it was so overwhelming. And part of me was like, there wasn't any relief. Like I was so confused and, you know, and you're like, you know, and I looked at this baby next to me, the one I used to talk to, because it was he, he was only like two pounds, and nobody ever came to visit this baby. They're like some parents can't deal with it, so I would be sitting in there, you know, talking to both babies, and you know, and you just sit there and you go, it is in God's hands. You know, what are you supposed to do? And then it's like, and I even me as the mom, there were a couple times where I got resentful because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I can't even care for my own kid. You know, I can't feed him, I can't hold him, I can't do all these things. I can stick my hand through these little, you know know the little hand thingies and it's like but you almost feel like you don't have a right to your emotions and I'm so glad Tate that you brought this up because these emotions aren't indicative of how we truly think about the situation they just come and go because we're human and they're part of the package that goes along I think with having a preemie mm-hmm. yep so Lauren That's we're going to go over to you thanks Tate that was super cool uh, Lauren, we're going to go to you. What is your best advice you have for a mom in your in a similar situation? Well, I, just what you were talking about. It is extremely hard to feel like the mother of this baby when uh, they're sitting in this isolate or incubator and they can't do anything. You can't hold them. It was five. It was actually five days before I could hold little Tate, um, which wasn't too bad, but it was still hard waiting that long. And he had so many IVs and tubes and everything that when we wanted to hold him, we had to find a nurse. That nurse had to find another nurse. Both nurses had to help get the baby out of the isolate without pulling an IV out or, you know, tugging on a tube or whatever, pulling a feeding tube out. And it was just so hard to have to, you know, ask permission to hold my baby. And sometimes he wasn't stable enough. Sometimes We'd be holding him, and his saturation would just keep dropping. His oxygen levels would just keep plummeting, and we'd have to just put him back. And um, the the other thing is, you know, when he'd have um, his apnea events, which are very common with preemies, they just forget to breathe. They're too little. They're not post-breathing yet. They just forget to breathe. Their heart rate drops. Their, um, oh, their yeah, all the sensors go on, and then it's no- the noise. And that's the time, you know, here when your child's not breathing, that's when you have to step back and let somebody else come and try to, you know, get them breathing again. And um, that's very... I'm going to have to cut you off, but we're going to talk about this when we come back from break, but it does go against everything that's in you as a mom to hand over your baby to somebody else when your baby's in distress. Uh, Today we're talking about preemies, and we have Lauren and Tate Zimmerman from the Little Tate Foundation for Preemie Aid. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear more from Lauren and Tate about how to navigate a very difficult situation. Mom here. 
here's your show, Motherhood Talk Radio, giving you interesting, inspiring, and influential information as you navigate everything from child care to corporate formation. This is Motherhood Talk Radio, and we'll be right back after these. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The author of the book, Help My Body is Killing Me, solving the connections of autoimmune disease to thyroid problems, fibromyalgia, depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better. To make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio, the most powerful voice in women's issues. For more information, check out the website, MotherhoodTalkRadio.com. Now, let's get back to the show with your hosts, Sandra Back and Christy Holly. Mamas, this is Sandra Beck and Christy Holly, and today is our preemie show, and we are talking about premature babies. And I have, myself have had two preemies, and well, Christy, <laughs> in that perfect life of yours, <laughs> I was saying that as preemie as I get is two weeks early for each of my kids. Yeah, and, and, if they, and at nine, nine pounds, you know, eight, three, and eight, nine pounds, and then eight, eight, two, I think. Well, and, you know, it's funny, you know, when we, we don't, I think a lot of times, like for me, I took for granted people having babies. I took for granted healthy babies. And, you know, when we, you know, we can stop a minute to think about the preemies that are born um, and the babies that are born with health issues or the ability to conceive. Like my sister could conceive no problem. I had I had more trouble. Right. And, um, you know, we don't take for granted. We can't know what we don't know. But that's what we're doing today is we're raising some awareness for not only the Little Tate Foundation, which you can find at preemiefoundation.com. You can learn more about what they do. We're going to talk about it right now. But also, you know, if you were able to conceive and you were we're able to carry your babies to term, that's a really big gift because there's not a lot of um, people that can say that, that their, you know, births were, were you know, successful, that their babies were to term. Um, but we can report that both my kids are doing great and little Tate and his um, brother that was born premature are both in good health. Is that correct, guys? Hello? Hello? Did we lose Lauren? Lauren? Hey. Talking Hi. in the other room. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, but anyways, they're, they're doing excellently. Um, 
Little Tate is basically, I mean, he's caught up. He's, uh, Lauren could correct me, but 80th, 90th percentile as far as weight goes. He was since about three months out of the hospital. He's been um, right about top of the growth chart for even for a while, you know, going by his adjusted age, but gradually moving into the normal growth charts. And he has done extremely well, been very healthy. And um, so is his, his brother was born five weeks early. And um, they're both just huge and healthy and just loving everything there, especially loving their newest little brother right now, especially kissing his hands for some reason. Um, <laughs> but they are, they are, thankfully, they're, they're very healthy, very happy today. Now, this is so important because, you know, we've had, you know, I guess between the two of us, we've had four preemies, and then we've had, Christy, you've had three uh, uh, to term, and mm-hmm. and your littlest one, Lauren, came to term. So we're three preemies and four to term kids, you know, just represented on the show here today. Um, and that brings up the, the, um, the concept, too, of, like, you know, who's paying for all this stuff? You know, who's paying? There's government funding. That's uh, available, um, and this gets involved with the mission of the Little Tate uh, Foundation for Preemie Aid. And uh, Big Tate, I'm going to go to you for this one. Um, what's the issue with government funding and uh, hospital bills, and especially when it comes to preemies? Um, well, to back up there, we could have very easily had Medicaid pay for a hospital bill, and um, it covers over a certain are uh, under a certain birth weight, and Little Tate was just under that, um, and we were going to. So we were planning on doing that, but we, after some uh, prayer and going to God's Word and counsel and just thinking about things, we decided to stick with our previous uh, commitments or principles that we believed in, which was that the role of providing for um, welfare and for the needs, overwhelming financial needs in the community is the role of the body of Christ is Galatians 6 2 says that we should bear um, each other's burdens. And so we feel that that's the role of the church, not of the state. The state is given the sword. Um, I know many would disagree with that, but regardless, over the last century, we've seen an increase in the state taking over all kinds of these responsibilities everything from the care of the elderly to hospital bills to. Um, premature babies to whatever it is, and as a result, we have more statism, we have more, we're hopelessly in debt as a nation, and we have so much bureaucracy because for that tax dollar to get to a premium, there's so many layers of bureaucracy that it has to go through. Um, so basically, it's it's harming us as a nation, our dependence on the, the government versus just reaching out and meeting these needs directly, um, which we feel you know, very strongly about. So, right, and I get that. I get that. It's like, you know, somebody's got to pick up these bills, and if it's not the government or the government picks it up, it's our tax dollars, and then there's red tape, and, you know, where is the role of the personal responsibility of the family? Where is the, you know, especially if the family has earning power or connection, where is the role in the church in providing, you know, for its flock? I mean, there's a lot There's a lot going on there. Um, so the Little Tate Foundation forms out of, this mission, um, this mission to take care of our own, if you will. Um, what is the mission of the Little Tate Foundation? Well, I'm providing for the overwhelming needs of uh, premature babies, regardless of whether the state would cover those bills. Um, 
basically we're providing a third option. There's basically two options in existence um, that we could see when we went through our struggle, and that is either you make enough money that you can pay for it, which is very unlikely with, with a lot of these bills. Um, $900,000 bill is even a lot of the hospitals won't uh, spread that over a period of time. And the other option is a lot of people just go bankrupt or we turn to the government. So what the Little Tate Foundation for Premier does is provides a third option. And so what we do is we find um, or we have families come to us and those families have these overwhelming needs. We help fundraise for them, raise money, uh, support. Um, we spread the, the word. And so we get really good at spreading the word, raising funds to help meet these overwhelming needs. And it's actually amazing what a little bit, uh, a lot of people giving a little bit does. It's true. I mean, when you see, you know, some of the different foundations and, you know, you get, you know, 100,000 people just giving a dollar or $5, you know, that's $500,000 raised, you know, for a foundation. Um, how does it work? Like if there's a family in need, what happens? Like what do they do? Basically, they would contact us or we would contact them if we hear about them. And then the next thing is we would go through and we'd interview them. And some things we'd want to see is, first of all, are they putting what they can throw at it into it? Um, you know, somebody is able to cover a bill. We don't want to step in there um, necessarily unless it's an overwhelming situation. Um, then we go through, you know, why didn't they have insurance? In our case, um, we were a newly married couple. Um, we were planning on getting insurance before the baby came, just procrastinated, didn't do it. And even if we had at that point, it would have taken eight months to really kick in typically. So there's a period of time at which it takes for uh, to kick in to cover those those right, larger. To cover uh, the, the pregnancy, usually it's, it's a year. Uh, most of the time you have to be insured for a year before you'll get any pregnancy benefits. Right, so then right. we basically strongly urge them or, or one of the, requirements actually is that they would um, join uh, there's either an insurance program or uh, preferably we like Samaritan Ministries and some uh, MediShare programs such as that and so we we um, go through that process to make sure that it's not going to happen over and over again this is a huge burden um, and then from that point we brainstorm we um, get it out on Facebook on um, through our network of fellow believers thankfully I've worked with some different ministries and developed a network there. And just uh, radio shows like this, just getting the word out and raising money for their needs. Now, what's and the I'll, status of, and uh, little Tate is two and a half now, um, what's the current status of his hospital bill? It's currently um, reduced down to just under 300000 And because wow. of the income I make, I'm able to, uh, we're able to pay it off on a monthly basis, um, and that's that's the goal. There may be points where we need to ask for some help, but more or less I think we can handle that payment, and so we've cut it as low as we could. And we don't use the, the LTFPA is not for our personal sure. use. So. 
Right. So a little Tate Foundation is not not here for your personal use. It's to help other families in your situation, and that's really commendable to you, Lauren, and to you, Tate, because what you're saying here is that you're choosing, and I love how you call it MediShare, you're sharing the cost of your medical burden and not dumping it over to Medicare completely, no judgment for someone who does, but you're taking responsibility for not only your children, but also for their medical bills and, and participating participating now in the help of other families uh, who find themselves in the same situation. And I have to say that's got to be a huge relief. Uh, he, not for you guys, because it's a lot more work for you to have a foundation. <laughs> but a huge relief for families out there. We yeah. did raise... Oh, we, we did raise money for um, Little Tate's neonatology bill. It started out at about 180,000 and just with their standard self-pay type reductions, it came down to about 51,000 and we were able to raise that um, in 60 days and get that bill paid off. Um, so that was um, definitely um, very thankful for that, but that was one of his bills and then we're still working on the hospital bill ourselves. Well, you guys, I am really proud of you, and I'm really proud of what you stand for. Um, that you're, you know, that you guys shoulder this burden with three kids. Um, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show today. The foundation, if you guys would like to learn more about it or you would like to donate money, is PremieFoundation.com. This is to help uh, premature babies that parents have accrued exorbitant medical bills, and I'll tell you, they do run up quick. I mean, neither of my kids was cheap, and um, and I was insured, and it still was a lot of money out of pocket. Um, but I am really proud of you guys for what you've put together, and it's what a great legacy for little Tate and for his brothers, because this is something that is way above and beyond the call of duty. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we've got about a minute to break. Uh, Lauren, I'm going to go to you quickly. 30 seconds. Your best piece of advice to a mom who is uh, in the NICU today. That is do what you can for your baby, and it will help you feel like a mom. I, I did my laundry. I did laundry for him. I brought him my own blanket, his own clothes. Instead of using the hospital ones, and I pumped milk for him, and it really just made me feel like I could do something for him and I could take care of his needs. That is amazing. What a beautiful sentiment. Well, my name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio along with Christy Holly and Rick Swanson. Today's show will be available on iTunes. It is also available on toginet.com for those of you that didn't live stream. You can also head to motherhoodtalkradio.com and pick up previous shows and today's broadcast if you missed the beginning. Our guests today were Lauren and Tate Zimmerman. They are parents of two premature boys and one healthy bouncing baby newborn check out preemiefoundation.com and make a donation Thank you for being a part of Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck and Christy Holly. Go on toginet.com. Join us every Tuesday as we give